You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Tonight, we are going into our ninth part, I believe that it is, on the series, A Love That Lasts, and I'm privileged to be able to speak on this next part. And uh, you may be seated. We want to welcome all those that are watching and listening online as well. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us. I love that last, uh, this part is on uh, in the last days. I love that last in the last days. And um, there is writing on the wall about the world's future. And that is what we're going to discuss tonight. The final chapter of Revelation, it talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, the great deception, the return of the Lord, and the fall of Babylon. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 to 6, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. We open up this service tonight, this Bible study, talking about this individual. She's pictured as a harlot sitting on many waters, riding on top of the beast, which has seven heads and ten horns. She is called a mystery. Her name is Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. That is not a name that you typically pick out for an individual, but it's what she was given. Many try hard to speculate the identity of this Babylonian, but it is very clear that Babylon is a spirit that is heavily influencing the world even today. The Bible provides us with information on this topic. In eschatology, there is a rule of first. In order to understand Scripture, you go all the way back to the first mention in Scripture of what you were studying. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. Babylon is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6 to 12. It was a city established by Nimrod, the grandson of Ham. The beginning of his kingdom uh, was Babel in the land of Shinar, modern-day Iraq. Their stated goal was to defy God's divine directive to spread out and fill up the earth and join together to build a notorious city, including a tower that would reach to heaven and make a name for themselves. This was a culture based on God defying self-promotion and materialism. 
Babylon reemerged shortly after 2000 BC, roughly the time period that we have the Hebrew patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And at that time, an independent kingdom was established in the city under a dynasty of Westerners, or what the Bible refers to as Amorites. Hammurabi, in 1792 uh, to 1750 BC, the sixth king of the first dynasty of Babylon, built a sizable empire through treaties and conquest. And from this time forward, Babylon was considered to be the political seat of southern Mesopotamia, the region called Babylonia. And recently, um, we have manuscripts dating as far back as 3000 BC that provide some incredible insight into the worldview that was driving ancient Babylon and how it will flourish in the future. They were known to worship the goddess Ishtar. She was called the mother of temple prostitutes. She was said to dress in scarlet and purple and wear priceless jewels and carry a golden cup or torch. She was considered the warrior goddess fighting for personal freedom. She promoted occult practices. She was said to have introduced and promoted sexual perversions of all kinds. Her motto, if it feels good, do it. Ancient Babylon reached its greatest glory during King Nebuchadnezzar. The city was divided into two equal parts by the river Euphrates. And in ancient Babylon, the river ran directly through the city. This was a port city. Large ships sailed right out of the Persian Gulf up the Euphrates into the city of Babylon. And over the years... Uh, the bed of the Euphrates has shifted where Babylon once said is now 12 miles from this river. And Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom revolved around God defying self-promotion, materialism, and sensuality. And it was a momentous occurrence in the spiritual realm where the king of Babylon rose up against Jerusalem in 605 BC. And that's where it takes us to here tonight. Jews were taken captive and herded in chains across the plateaus of Syria to their new home that would be Mesopotamia. It was a journey of horror for God's chosen people. It's not something that they chose for themselves, but their city was overtaken by the greatest force, the greatest nation uh, that was known at that time. And they were forced to leave their promised land and their homes. And once they reached this foreign soil, they were divided up into groups. And at, out of this setting came four young ch- Jews chosen for the king's service. We know them as Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, we see this incredible story about wh- where they're taken out of their homeland. Everything that they know, everything that they've built for themselves as a nation, that they revere as holy, is desecrated by a foreign nation who takes them captive, and this is what Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 says, despite all of this, it says, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. He didn't want to be influenced by the world that they were now in, and he kept himself from it. I think that that speaks highly of Daniel, Daniel had already made up his mind that he wouldn't compromise God's commandments for all the riches of Babylonia. 
And that conviction would be what would shape his life for the next 70 years. And many years passed by in the life of Daniel, Babylon, seeing many kings come and go, but Daniel remained steadfast even though he was living in a foreign land that was polluted, that was intoxicated by sin. And one day, a courier brought to Daniel an invitation from the new king to attend a special banquet. And at this banquet, there was going to be all kinds of important dignitary that would be there. It would be a very prestigious event. But unknown to the king, it would be his last meal. As they were eating and drinking, living life to the fullest, all of a sudden, handwriting appeared on the wall by the hand of God. Fear struck the heart of the king because no one understood what it was. No one expected this. And they began to seek for someone who could interpret what this means. And they called for Daniel. And when Daniel showed up at this banquet, the king immediately offered him a scarlet robe, a chain around his neck, a third of the kingdom. If he could just say what this means, if he could just figure it out. And Daniel, he didn't want any of it. He told the king something pretty brazen. He said, keep the gifts for yourself or give it to somebody else. Daniel, he was not interested in what Babylon had to offer. He could not be bought. The fact of the matter is that the world today is at King Belshazzar's feast and doesn't even know it, becoming more intoxicated with the world by the minute. What did the writing on the wall say? You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Little did they know that within moments the king would be dead, the largest nation on earth would be decimated, and the entire kingdom would be turned upside down. Little does the world know that this world is coming to a close. The writing is on the wall. We are in the last days. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 33, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. The church, the body of Christ, must flee this present darkness. Not be tainted or indulge in its offerings. You may ask here tonight, Brother Robertson, is this even possible to be in the world and not be affected by it? And the answer is yes, but it's only because of His grace. God's grace enables us to overcome the pull that this world has. The power of lust can be broken. The righteous can find a place of refuge. The influence of this world can be shattered. The revelation of our heart's state will drive us to our knees in repentance as we ask God to purge every trace of the love for this world from us. Dear saint of God, we have come to the point in human history where the battle lines are clearly laid out. Being neutral is no longer an option. We need to decide now who will be our master, the world or God. We cannot choose both. And when Moses went up Mount Sinai to commune with God, God's agenda for the meeting was to supply the people of God with commandments that would keep them. Keep them from the influence of the world that they would be around. 
And he starts off by writing on tables of stone the hand of the Lord, if you can imagine. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any gods before me. And it's not long before the people begin saying, we don't know what's happened to this Moses. We don't know if he'll ever come back. Let's take the jewelry, the necklaces, the rings, the bracelets that we got from Egypt and make them into a god that we can worship. And so they melt down their jewelry that they got from the place that held them in slavery for over 400 years to enter into slavery to an idol. And they make a golden calf and give worship to it. And God tells Moses, you better get back down there. The people have made a God and are worshiping it. And Moses, he marches back down the mountain. And you can imagine that he would be delighted. Happy? No. (laughs) He was furious. Having cut off his time with God short, he broke the tables of stone that the Lord had made. He melted down this idol, and he made the people of Israel drink it. You want to be part of the world? Take it all in then. They took what God had blessed them with and made it an idol. It put a bad taste in the mouth of God and hopefully the people of God because they took what God had blessed them with and began to worship it. It is imperative today as the body of Christ that we keep ourselves from any trace of sin that this world offers. Ezekiel chapter 16, it talks about it. It says that God said, in the day that you were born, you were casted into a field in your own blood to die. But I saw you, and I cleaned you up. I clothed you with my own righteousness. I covered you with jewelry. But you took those blessings and acted the part of a harlot. You turned the blessings of the Lord into your idol. It's there, Ezekiel chapter 16. Lord, help us if we knowingly step over that line and ignore all of the warnings of the word of the Lord. He he doesn't want us to be sidelined by what is to come. The danger for the church is when they view the guardrails of the Lord's commandments as a prison. The danger is when we begin to listen to the voice of the enemy trying to get us to think that God is just trying to keep us from something. God doesn't want you to do it because he knows that the day you do it, you will become a God of your own world in charge. The voice of the Lord cries out to everyone who will listen, come out from the world and be separate. And if you haven't sandbagged your life against the floodwaters of deception, you need to start. We have no idea how bad it's going to get. We think, surely I can be in this world possibly even look like this world and still get to heaven, but we don't know what the world represents and how much God detests it. The spirit of Babylon has been tricking people generation after generation. We are not immune to its plague. And so I urge us tonight to open up our hearts to God once again. Examine ourselves. Allow Him to point out the loves of our heart that remain devoted to the attractions of the world. Let Him expose your deepest lusts. All these earthly possessions, they are one day going up in flames. None of these things will last. Babylon, it became a symbol of humanity's rebellion against God. And it is the seed of Western philosophy and values. The voyage voyage to the new world for many people was to find a place of religious freedom. 
here we are in 2021 and people are still seeking freedom. But I ask the question, freedom from what? In the book of Hosea, we have this incredible story that portrays the pull of the world. Hosea chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. This is a story of a woman who has found herself in quite a predicament. She has married a man of God, and she decides to leave him and go after other men. But once she has, everything fell apart for her. It wasn't working out the way that she had planned or the way that she thought it would. She thought that she could have it better somewhere else. But she soon reaches the end of her road to the bottom of her pit. And she realizes something. She remembers her first love. And she remembered that he had never left her, and whenever she tried to find him, he was always there with open arms ready to receive her. She had it so much better with him. And so she decides to return to her first love. Some see the things and people of the world and think to themselves that the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. But the grass always grows greener over a septic tank. People fall for it, though. They use their self-will and say, I'll do what I want to do when I want it. They begin to act like the world, and it's not long before they begin to look like the world. And then they realize that they aren't in control anymore and are alone, emptied of all their value. Backsliding doesn't always mean leaving the church. It can also be just a simple decrease of where we are presently standing in Christ. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, He's formed us in His likeness. You are a child of the King. You don't need what this world has to offer. Let me repeat that again. You don't need what this world has to offer. The drugs, the alcohol, the jewelry, the immodest apparel, the sexual immoralities, Christ died for us. Stretched out both of his arms, removing those roadblocks of no return, so that if we do fall into sin, we can fall, find our way back to him. Every day, there are suicides because people seem to think that they are at the end when Christ is there to make a new beginning. Every day, more people end up in the cycle of addiction because they are searching. I was listening to the news on my way into work this morning. They were interviewing an advocate for addiction awareness, and she was talking about the high rise in addiction since the pandemic has started. Surprising, alarming the rate that it's increased just in the last two years. And she said this, she said, we are seeing a new pandemic form with alcoholism and the largest rise is with women. She stated that women are quickly outpacing men. She said that the pandemic has created an atmosphere where alcohol is being used as a coping mechanism and there's a high rise of people landing in the hospital because of it. We as the church need to represent the hope of Christ. The church needs to represent the separation that this world needs. People may say, how can God clean up my life? 
how can God forgive the things that I've done? The answer to that is that he's the one that marched down to hell and took back those keys to death, hell, and the grave that people sold themselves so short for. That's how my God can forgive. And now he says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And he also says this, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. We are spiritually made and spiritually filled children of the living God. So don't tell me that he can't do it. I've seen the chains of addiction broken in people's lives. I've seen the prodigal return. I've seen people who thought they had no hope find hope everlasting. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me. This word power that we have here, you might have heard it before, is a Greek word, dynamo, meaning dynamite. We've got enough Holy Ghost, you've got enough Holy Ghost in you to blow this world upside down and inside out. You've got the power to say, Arise not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. End time Babylon is called a mystery. It's talking about the spirit of the world that would reap destruction in the lives of many. All nations will be deceived by her. The deception will be led by the philosophy of Babylon, which says that the meaning in life can be achieved apart from God through possessions, pleasure, and prominence. We don't need God. We are sufficient in everything we need. Here's the problem when God is taken out of the question. Nothing makes sense. Throughout the last number of decades, people have been using the theory of evolution and the Big Bang to explain away God. Our Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The world says in the beginning there was nothing. Our Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God by the hands of God. The world says that from that nothing, all of a sudden was a big explosion, big bang, and then over the course of billions of years, that big bang caused there to be something that turned into stars and planets, and on a planet that just so happened to be blown into a place where life could exist and grow, bacteria grew, and from the bacteria formed fish, and from fish, they developed the ability to walk on land, and from fish, they walked on dry land, came monkeys, and from monkeys came people. That's much easier to believe than God. <laughs> they used to say that it all took place in thousands of years. Years ago, that's what they used to say. This all took place in thousands of years. And then that wasn't believable enough, so they changed it in the school books to say millions. And now they have changed the school books again to say billions. See what happens when you form a lie. It grows, and it grows, and it grows. How can anyone believe the agenda of the world? Because they package it as truth. What was theory is now preached in schools everywhere as a truth to abide by. Don't dare dispute it. But if the 
church doesn't highlight the cancer of the world, who will? If God's people don't stand up for and against the delusion and deception of the spirit of Babylon, who will? This is the same philosophy perpetrated by Satan from the beginning. Since the first time we see Satan on the scene communicating with humanity, he has been asking the question, did God really say that? Does God's word really mean that? Does God's word really say that? Is God really real? John warned his readers about such a philosophy in his earlier letter in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 18. It says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that, lo- all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, listen to this, it is the last hour. It is the last time. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. We are created in God's image. I think we can agree on that here tonight. We are created in God's image. We were created with the capacity to create and enjoy things. These are God-designed capacities only fully realized through intimate connection to Him. But since the rebellion, man has pursued these things apart from God. Possessions without sacrifice. Pleasure without God-ordained boundaries. Prominence without faithful service. And through relationship with Him, God, He promises that on His right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the last days, there will be a world power that becomes the main perpetrator of this lie. It will have economic, religious, and political power to peddle its wares throughout the world. Antichrist and his coalition of kings will use this vehicle to gain influence and power around the world. The Antichrist will one day direct an all-out insurrection against God. He is referred to as the beast, the lawless one, the little horn, and so on. It is the spirit of the world that will possess the person who will orchestrate the events leading up to the final great conflict. The power of the spirit of the world is like a heavy cloud resting on the earth, continually promoting anti-Christian messages and luring people to become independent from God's authority. And it is, it will be in that atmosphere that will pave the way for Armageddon. Last night as you may have been laying there in your comfy beds, all of a sudden an emergency alert went off on your phone. Everyone's phones and devices. You might have rushed out to where your phone is to see what in the world is going on. And it was to alert people of a missing three-year-old and a two-year-old. And my wife read it, and she immediately went into prayer for these two kids, that they would be found. I want to let you know that every sermon we hear preached is an emergency alert, reminding us that there are people who are lost in need of God. We're sounding the alarm 
It's an emergency alert to the church to remind us that the world is coming to a close. Evil escalates in the last days, and the number of people giving into it will multiply, the Bible tells us. Today, the spirit of Babylon is clearly evident. It's the spirit that says, question authority, and if it feels good, do it. This rising power will begin uniting people in a worldwide disdain for religious authority. The Antichrist will come with a message of peace, peace, and start his authority in the world. One by one, little by little, the world is infiltrating to the point where many have lost their way. It's the small foxes that spoil the vine. Before you know it, you're off course and are struggling to find your bearings. The daily saturation of news and sinful behavior from television and the internet has left Christians spiritually and emotionally numb. What used to stimulate us by coming to church to engage in worship is now desensitized. Our emotions and attention span are being shaped to be less focused as we reward ourselves for more of the world's content, hour by hour. The average person spends 8 to 10 hours a day looking at a screen. Over a lifetime, that works out to about 34 years. 34 years of your life spent looking at screens. With that much exposure, we would be absolutely crazy to overlook its influence on our life. In his last day's discourse, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. We are now entering a time when lawlessness will reach the greatest heights ever known in the history of humanity. Evil is more intense than it has ever been. Sexual perversion is now at epidemic proportions. The sign that evil has reached its peak will be a stubborn refusal to repent. Three times, we are told in Revelation that people would not repent of their deeds. Why do you think that that would be? Because people have developed themselves as their own God of their own world and have become numb to the voice of God through the influence of the world. Let me tell you tonight that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. The need for repentance is greater than it has ever been before. Now is not the time to indulge ourselves in worldly music, immoral content, and ungodly conversations. Now is not the time to grow cold to the voice of the Lord in our life. Sadly for some, the fear of God has been abandoned in favor of a superficial concept of His grace. I can live however I want to live. God's grace is enough to forgive me. He didn't save us from the world for us to live in the world. He didn't save us from our sin so that we would flounder in it. There will come a great deception in the last days. When Jesus was on the earth, everywhere he went, there were multitudes who would follow him. They wanted to see his miracles. They wanted to bring to him their sick and let him heal them. But Jesus said to them in John chapter 6, verse 26, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, 
but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. They were not interested in serving God as much as they were in God serving them. They longed for full bellies and healed bodies. He began to reveal to them, I am the bread of life. Blind, hard-hearted, and lacking spiritual discernment, the crowd could not understand the things that he was saying. And so the Bible tells us that many people withdrew from him. And then he turns to the 12 that he chose, the 12 that remained. And he asked them this question, will you walk away from me as well? Peter's response, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where in the world are we going to go? You're the one that has the answers. As long as Jesus gave the people what they wanted, they were happy to be numbered among his disciples. But Jesus wasn't interested in the multitude for the sake of numbers. He wanted people to be committed to following him. Today in this world, with modern day conveniences, our bellies are full. Our burns are overflowing. Our possessions are increasing. We have to be ever so careful that those temporal factors don't decide for us what our eternal values will be. Christianity has always been a matter of the heart. God has a right to see if your religious activities spring from a deep inward consecration. Jesus said that many receive the word with joy but fall away when their faith is tested. In our culture, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. To the many who shun the narrow way because the cross demands too much, it makes no logical sense to them. They approach Christianity from the mindset of the world. Aren't the sacrifices that I've made enough? I've given up cussing. <laughs> I come to church when I feel like sleeping in. Isn't that enough? But real surrender occurs when we choose to narrow that narrow way of the cross. We are now living in the last days. The signs of the times tell us that it's true. The tremendous increase of knowledge, the great strides of technology, the movement towards a cashless society, the acceptance of perversion, the adulteration of spiritual values. There's so many different things that we could label, that we could name that give us clear indication that Christ is coming back for his church any moment. And yet for many, life goes on as normal. Pressures at work, packed schedules, and the hectic pace of life force spiritual considerations into the background. When the Lord was asked the sign of his return, the first thing that was out of his mouth was, take heed that no man deceive you. Four times he used this word deceive. And it means to cause to wander astray into error, to seduce. This is a clear warning for the church today. Let it ring loud and clear that deception is running rampant through the world. We are no match for Satan's power. It is only by abiding in Christ that we have authority over the devil. We can't take on him alone. By your own power, by your own force, by your own will. Jesus said that one of the main characteristics prior to his return would be apostasy. He said many will fall away. 
there will be a defection from the truth, a forsaking of the truth. And this tells us that there will be those who forsake religious beliefs, who pick and choose which scriptures that they're going to believe. There will be those who have a form of godliness in their life but deny the power of thereof. When I was in Bible college a couple of years ago, maybe it was more than a couple, I remember that there was a religious group that was picking apart the Bible to determine which parts they believed to be truth. And they were going to make their own Bible. The places that would be believable, they were going to leave just black and white. But the areas of Scripture that they could not believe was accurate was going to be highlighted in gray. Those were going to be the gray areas of the Bible. And I remember looking at this study at the time when I was in Bible college and thinking to myself, I land, where are they going with this? Where are we going when we think that we can put our opinion inside the Word of God? The Word of God gives no room for personal opinion. It is the Word of God. What it says is truth. We just have to choose whether or not we believe it. And the Lord, on the last days, repeatedly warned his followers to be ready, be alert, and be awake. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. Don't be fooled. Repeatedly, Jesus uses the same word in regard to his coming he used with his disciples that fateful night in Gethsemane. Watch. He is calling us to watch, stay alert, wake up. How can we afford to be spiritually drowsy when we are heading into humanity's most urgent hour? Could it be that we are being worn down by the spirit of this world? It is possible that our supposed peace with God is simply the dulled senses of someone underneath the spell of worldly enchantment. Nothing deadens a love for the Father like the things of this world. We can't afford to go to sleep in the lap of Delilah, if you will, when the enemy is at the door. As we draw closer to Christ's return, the battle between good and evil will intensify. The temptation to feast at the devil's banquet table will increase, and many will succumb to spiritual sluggishness as they gorge themselves on the devil's delicacies. It is vital that we recognize that our flesh is weak. We need God. Now is not the time to throw up walls. Now is the time to look at the writing on the wall. Your flesh will make justifications for its ungodly actions. And while the world is being lulled by the intoxication of sin, it is imperative that the church remain spiritually sober. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. When he says dulled by carousing, he is referring to a hangover. In the context of a person's spiritual life, this refers to the dullness of the heart and spiritual barrenness that results from a life filled with worldly activities. 
We are told that in the last days, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. We have become addicted to this fast-paced life. Many will run to and fro. In order to keep people's attention, adverts have learned that the scene needs to change every three seconds. You watch a commercial, it will change at least every three seconds. You watch an advert that comes up in between your YouTube clips. <laughs> you quickly try to skip the skip button on. One of the effects of such frantic living has been a high level of impatience in people's lives. We want what we want now. We don't know what we want, but we want it now. <laughs> but beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Truth be told, we have lost the ability to quiet ourselves before God and truly hear his voice. It was the solitude found in vast wildernesses that produced God-filled men like Moses and David. Are we able to quiet ourselves enough to hear aside from the rumble of the world the still, small voice of God? We need to be careful that we don't rush past the Lord with all of our accomplishments and fail to see what he is trying to do right here Right now, busyness will not make you or anyone you influence more prepared for their eternal destination. But spending time with the Lord will. We are prepared for the Lord's coming when we walk in the Spirit, keep ourselves unstained, and live out the love of God. That's what will produce a love that will last in the last days. Just as I begin to come to a close here tonight, I'm wondering if we could stand one more time. I'm going to pray for us that we will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, by the, what's being portrayed in the world, and that we will be able to focus on what God has at hand for His church. And we need to be diligent in what God is saying to the church through His Word. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.